You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review on Westwood One Podcast Network. Friday afternoon, June 15th. I could barely get the words out of my mouth. I am so tired. Such a long week. As I'm talking to you, I have documents and articles and data up on healthcare and crime and immigration and all sorts of stuff. Just just so you know, I'm always hard at work here. Um, work myself into the ground until the end of the week and the Sabbath and when I could finally just have some sense of a, of a, of a normal life. But, you know, in, in case some of you are new listeners, and I know we're always getting new listeners – I am Daniel Horowitz, not Michael Horowitz, the Inspector General of the FBI, the Star of the Week. Um, and you know, I'm convinced that there's a conspiracy, and I'm I'm saying this jokingly, that every time there's important policy issues that we need the movement focused on, dude, we're getting sold out on this, we're getting sold out on that. There's always something in the razzle dazzle news that's going to distract. And, and like the the IG report, I mean, I'm telling you, you know, if you thought you were going to find anything in it where the IG was going to say, "Oh my gosh, there's irremediable corruption at the highest levels," they're not going to say it. Now he kind of intimates it, and then he goes back and says, "Ah, it's not political." I mean, if you expect the executive branch to drain itself, it's not going to happen. It's got to come from Congress, and you know they don't want to do it. But you know, there is a broader problem. Where we have a moral crisis in this country on so many issues. I know I've hinted to this in the past. I've spoken about it the last couple of weeks. As it relates to immigration, as it relates to crime, this sense of morality is really is it's really getting to me. And I want to address that today <clears throat> in full with <clears throat> a lot of information and data points you're not going to hear elsewhere. And I'm just Losing my voice because you know I'm always screaming on the phone all week. <clears throat> so at the end of um, a week, I pretty much have no voice left. So I'm you know I apologize for the raspiness here on air. But yeah, there is a lot going on. But first, you know, to kind of segue into the latest information on immigration, I want to just reiterate a point I've made over and over and over again since Trump has been elected, and that is. If you are pro-Trump and you're pro, broadly speaking, the agenda he ran on, you do him and more importantly, the movement and more importantly, the country and the constitution and the rule of law and safety and security and prosperity, no favors by holding back and saying, oh, I'm scared to criticize the White House. You know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. You got when you see a bad idea budding. You have to squelch it early and often. The fact that Trump cares about what conservatives think is a good thing, and you need to use that. And sadly, there's few people who are willing to do it. And a classic example came out this morning. <clears throat> I published an article. Now, really, I was going to do this yesterday, but our copy editor wasn't in, and things were just busy. So it had to wait till this morning. 
But I published an article, Why is the White House Betraying Us on Immigration? And basically, I alluded to this in the last episode, that there's two immigration bills. One's the Goodlatte bill, which is you know as good as it's going to get coming from these people. It still does have a limited amnesty. It says 700000 in there. And the other one is Leadership's bill, which is an open-ended entitlement for amnesty. Now, this, this article I wrote is still relevant, that the bill is a trap. Even the good things in it will get stripped out, why we have to block it. And the fact that, unfortunately, Stephen Miller and White House staff, they were pushing this with members of Congress. And I said, wait a minute, why is the president not pushing the Goodlatte bill and threatening a veto against this bill? <clears throat> a couple of minutes after I published this, Trump goes on Fox and Friends and he's asked, you know, there's two bills. Um, there's the moderate one, and you know, and I, I love how they call it moderate. There's nothing moderate about supporting a mass amnesty that was the source of the drug and MS-13 crisis, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But you know, they said, "Hey, you know, what's his story?" And, and Trump's like, "No, I, I, I would veto such a bill." And you know, on the one hand, you say, "Well, Daniel, you jumped the gun publishing your article," and we, you know, we obviously published an update. This actually proves I'm right, not that I'm wrong, meaning this proves the need to get on his case because I wasn't making it up. I didn't I didn't title the article Trump betrays. I said the White House. Now, look, the buck stops with him and he's got to control his staff. And that's part of the problem. But often these are trial balloons. And if they're not trial balloons that are orchestrated, they're at least, you know, mixed messaging from staff doing the wrong thing. So rather than say, look, Daniel, let's wait to hear from the president, but if we don't criticize it, it's going to be too late. I mean that's what I've come to learn. Once you wait for the president to support or disavow an issue, it's going to be too late. You have to get in his face early and often. Now I'm not going to accuse them of doing something they don't do, but here his staff was absolutely pushing the wrong bill. You know, it's funny reading um, the tweets of Rachel Bade. She's the – Immigration, one of the big immigration beat reporters for um, Politico, and she – I mean she has so much disdain. She says um, – where is this? It's unclear to me if Trump knew what he was saying on Fox and Friends in rejecting the House GOP DACA bill, um, but if he did, that's a death knell for the, net, for the text. What, co- what conservative would vote against the president on an issue that divides the party so? Trump comments about the GOP DACA bill are a slap in the face to GOP leaders, mods, and conservatives who've spent weeks on that thing. Both sides have given ground to the other mods on border crackdown and enforcement, conservatives on pathway for dreamers to bridge the legal system. Also surprising, Trump dissed the GOP DACA compromise bill because the plan perfectly aligns with his four pillars on immigration approach. Still appears someone got to him and said, base won't like this. Don't do it. Now, she has disdain for this, but folks, that's the point. You got to get to him. And, you know, like I said, when it comes to crime, which we'll hopefully get to again, some updates on that issue today, when it comes to sovereignty and immigration security, when it comes to religious liberty, we cannot afford to lose those issues. I can't wait until it's 90% the fix is in to speak up against it. I need to step on that hole, step on that snake. Before it rears its head. And that's what I'm going to do here. I might not be the inspector general of the FBI, but I promise you guys I'll be the ad hoc inspector general on all these issues. Where the American people, the American citizen, the law-abiding citizen, the non-criminal, non-illegal alien 
doesn't have a voice. And I'm going to do everything I can. See, you know, the criminals all have Van Jones and Jared Kushner and Kim Kardashian assembling a team of lawyers for them. The American taxpayer, the law-abiding citizen, doesn't have that voice. And I'm going to use the small voice that I have to be that voice. And, and, and you got to do it early and often. And thankfully, it worked here. But look, you know, one thing Rachel Bate is right about, it's unclear if the president knew which bill they were talking about. I would venture to say he probably didn't. Now, I'll take what he said anyway and use it to say, hey, the president opposes it. But, you know, you got to watch out. This, this issue is not won. You know, this is a big problem. And, and, and by the way, you know, as just another note, Mark Levin has shown the path to what it means to be the MAGA agenda, stand up to the president, but also support the president in a manly way. You know, this morning, Trump tweeted directly about Mark Levin, you know, all the things Mark Levin was saying about the inspector general report and, you know, how he was justified to fire Comey. And, you know, he was really, you know, very happy with Mark Levin. And the amazing thing is, unlike all these other people that that have a wet dream about getting into Trump's tweets that just kiss his rear end and support even the liberal things the administration is doing in order to do so. Trump bashes him on crime, bashes him on immigration. Just this week, you know, I was kind of reserving judgment, but tr- but Mark Levin really said, look, some of Trump's comments on Kim Jong and North Korea are way over the top. Just two days ago, he bashed Trump on that. And, you know, a caller was upset with him and he said, look, there's no greater defender of Trump on the on the Comey Mueller thing than I am and on many other issues. But where I believe he's wrong, I'm going to call him out. And it's a good thing to call him out because not only do we need to stand for what's right and not lose the issue, Trump might just listen to us. You know? So uh, again, you know, for those of you out there saying, Daniel, I'm too scared to speak up on the pardoning of drug trafficker, traffickers. I'm too scared to speak up on the administration doing the wrong thing on on um, the UACs at the border and not denying them entry. Oh, Daniel, I'm too scared to speak up. Oh, my gosh. Mark Levin has shown a path to being very successful, having a Fox News show, but also retaining his principles, having influence getting in the presence here, but also criticizing him and trying to redirect his behavior where he's wrong. This is what it means to be a conservative. This is what it means to really make America great again. And by the way, I know I promised that Brandon Judd, the president of the Border Patrol Union, would be on the show today. Unfortunately, he couldn't attend. He actually had to – his schedule was as such that he had to do extra time in the field. So you know, by golly, I'd rather have him – protect America in the field um, patrolling than join us. And, you know, you don't realize what a dangerous job that is. We are not giving them the intel and the tools and the rules of engagement to, to treat this like a war with the drug cartels that it actually is. You know, we kind of treat it like domestic law enforcement. So, you know, let's pray for Brandon and all the other Border Patrol agents that put their themselves in danger. You know, obviously, this week earlier this week we had a 
border patrol agent who was shot. You know, luckily he's going to recover, but he was shot in ambush from these drug cartels that are able to monitor our movements. They have lookout towers, and you know we don't treat this like the war that it is. As sure as I'm living here today, the only sympathetic way of dealing with this, the only way to have sympathy for the 325 million Americans hurt by the cultural aspects, the schools destroyed, the fiscal burden, the drugs and MS-13, but also the people crossing the border, the children that people virtue signal about that are sold into sex slavery because of the atmosphere and economy we create. You know, Judge Andrew Hannon, we're likely going to hear from him soon in the DACA, in the second DACA decision, um, he, he said it very straight. Quote, by fostering an atmosphere whereby illegal aliens are encouraged to pay human smugglers for further services, the government is not only allowing them to fund the illegal and evil activities of these cartels, but also is inspiring them to do so. So when you are out there saying, oh my gosh, we need to do catch and release, we can't separate family members, we must release the adults with the children, that is exactly what inspired them to bring them to come in the first place. And by the way, you know, there's three populations. There's the Americans, there's the people crossing, and then there's the Mexicans left behind. 29,000 Mexicans killed by the drug turf wars we create. By this compassion. Like I always say, this is analogous to someone saying, I have compassion. I want to stop traffic on I-95 and hand out food to poor people. Look at the, tr- the, the car wreck you're going to create. Is that sympathetic? You have to deter that behavior, not encourage it. You know, one Republican after another is virtue signaling. They now have a bill to stop us from breaking up families. I see all these Catholic organizations, Jewish organizations, Protestant organizations. You know, even Franklin Graham, who is better than most of these people, puts out this virtue signal. It's, oh, we can't break up families. I want to address that today. If you are taking that position, you are responsible for 70,000 people dying. And by the way, there's now updated data from CDC. They predict 72,000 people in 2017 died from drug overdoses. Almost all of that is directly or indirectly the result of illicit drugs coming from Mexico precisely because, yeah, I know we've always had drugs, but the reason why it's been this cheap and ubiquitous in supply is because of DACA, because of the incentive that we started saying that, you know, for years, Clinton, through the first term of Obama, we'd never had, quote, compassion. Actually, we did have compassion. We didn't cater to this. Once we telegraphed the message that if you come here with a child, the child's here to stay and you're here to stay. It created this entire economy of gang and drug smuggling and human sex trafficking like we've never seen before. What about all of the Americans? What about all the American children who are separated from their parents in the grave? Okay? What about all of those that have died because of MS-13 and really because of drugs brought in by the very policies supported by these people. You know, I, I alluded to this earlier 
in in the week. I don't know if it was Monday's podcast or, or Wednesday's. This big Washington Post expose on MS-13 in Maryland schools. And it just – just the terrible, terrible stories. Terrible stories. Um, the rapes, the drugs, the stuff brought in to, to one's proud schools. You know, and, and what's amazing is – so again, you're not allowed to care about Americans. But the amazing thing is, you know who you're hurting the most? Hispanics, both legal and illegal. Because that generally – and now it hurts everyone, but those are the schools that are most affected in those neighborhoods. And I read this story about a girl, about a girl here that um, she was raped and she was forced to recant her um, deposition because she was scared of MS-13. And I'm just reading from the Washington Post here. The girl has had recently arrived in the United States, one of about 1,000 a, a unaccompanied mi- minors, placed with relatives in PG County. So even the so-called innocent kids, they're hurt by those policies. We're not doing them any favors by turning America into Honduras. Okay? Meaning if you want to do this, the only way to do it is by saying we will never allow anyone into our border. We will deport you immediately. We will deter that behavior. We will not let in children. We will not let in families with children. We will not have sanctuary cities. We will not put you in education. We will not give you health care. We will not give you welfare. We will not give you birthright citizenship. Mandatory E-Verify so there's no jobs. That is the compassionate thing to do because none of this will happen. And then you say the only way is to petition in the Mexico embassy, the U.S. embassy in Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala. You petition in a controlled fashion, and we will look at your asylum application. Otherwise, by doing this, even the people that are legitimately good crossing the border, who, by the way, even the good people have to pay the drug cartels and are also um, you know, complicit in, the, in, in, in empowering them and killing American people, you know, maybe they don't mean to do it, but that's what they're doing. You're not doing them any favors if they're fleeing rape and violence in Honduras and you bring them to rape and violence in the United States of America. So Franklin Graham, and again, I'm just picking on him because generally he's better than the rest of them. He is usually conservative. You could take your compassion and shove it where the sun don't shine because your compassion is cruelty. And again, I, you know, I don't like picking on Christian leaders because I'm not a Christian. You know, the Jewish leaders are even worse. It's all three major religions are plagued by this problem. And, and it's something that we just we just lost our sense of morality. Like I told you, the left focus is in a vacuum on one symptom that's usually created by their policies. And again, we're we're just trying to protect ourselves. Nobody, whether it was Clinton or Bush or Obama or Trump. Nobody went down to Honduras and separated families. They are separating themselves. And the people supporting these policies that rather than deterring this behavior incentivizes it, they are responsible for all of it. It just really bothers me. And again, in this Washington Post story, The gang's growth has been fueled by a wave of 200,000 teens who traveled to the United States alone to escape poverty and gang violence in Central America. 
Nearly 5,000 of those UACs have arrived in PG County since 2012. And again, it's the same story in Suffolk County, Long Island, New York, where the police commissioner said that the entirety of the MS-13 crisis is from the UAC population. Now, not all the UACs are gang members, but a lot of them wind up getting recruited to it. And even the ones who don't now have to suffer because of it. So what's the point in bringing them in? Don't bring them in. Certainly in not, not in that fashion. You know, like I said, God bless you if you want to open up a mission in Guatemala, if you want to give aid to Guatemala, if you want to you know, go there and do missionary work. The same way, God bless you if you want to give out food to the poor. But you cannot stop traffic to do it. Look at that person in that car or walking on the highway who needs a job or needs food. Don't you have any compassion? I mean, that's how stupid it is the way they're talking. Look, to their defense, in their defense, I'll say they're just so stupid and they don't understand policy issues and they don't understand the issues. So they just spew. But still, you know, stupidity and ignorance is a very dangerous commodity. This is what they're bringing in here to our country. This is why it's got to stop. It's got to be deterred. Now, again, I would argue the problem with Trump is he's trying to be too compassionate in their, in their system. It's not compassion. It's cruelty. But you know, he's trying to – the point is he's trying to punish the adults but then you know, resettle the children like refugees. But the reality is under my system, you wouldn't have dividing families because guess what? They would all be denied entry, or if they somehow get in, they'd be returned together. That's how it needs to be done. But why are we focusing on this? I don't understand. This is not, this is not our issue. What about American children? 40 bills in the House of Representatives this week and 40 more next week dealing with the opioid crisis. You know, I want to get to that. Information you're never going to hear from anyone else on this issue. But first, I want to talk about these DACA people, you know, and, and who, they, who, they, who they truly are. Isn't it interesting we have no information? You would think we would have a full breakdown from the government of all a total of 817,000 and change have been given illegal DACA status. Roughly 680,000 or so still have that status. You would think we would know everything about them. You know, when you're an American applying for status, usually the government knows already knows most things about you. You know, you're kind of stable, you're an American, we know who you are. But nonetheless, if you apply for a certain status, whether it's pre-screening for for TSA, a gun carry license. You know, you better believe they're going to find out everything about you. They're going to make you document it. If 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 there's anything that is that that defies eligibility for to to qualify, you're going to be disqualified. And you better believe they're going to verify and document everything you do. You know, I 
applied for because here in Maryland you can't carry. So I applied for a Florida permit, Florida out of state concealed carry permit. Now it's not going to help me in Maryland, but it would help me in many other states if I if I travel. And you know they have a, they handed out pretty liberally to um, out of state people. Uh, Florida and Utah are the ones I know about. Maybe there's a couple other states, but Florida and Utah are notorious for they have a lot of out-of-state um, permits. Now, when I say they give it out liberally, meaning they have a program, they give it out. But even then, you better believe they are very strict on f- fulfilling the criterion. And you know, I thought that I did everything correctly, but one of the things was you had to get fingerprints from a law enforcement agency, and. What I didn't, I didn't realize how strict they would be because the problem I have here in Maryland is that the law enforcement, the um, sh- the sheriffs, the state police, they stopped issuing um, fingerprints to civilians. They, you know, they they won't give it to you. They they just won't. Um, if you're not, you know, in law enforcement or you know, just generally, they won't. They just don't offer that service anymore. So. Now, in state, it's not a problem because if you need any Maryland status, well, Maryland has a number of private. You know, PI type of places that offer it, and they're certified and they accept it. So I went to one of those places that Maryland would accept. That if you're applying for a Maryland gun license, now I can't get a carry, but in Maryland you actually need a license to just purchase guns. That's how bad it is. Um, it's called a HQL here, handgun qualified license. That you, you need fingerprints, and they accept it from this. So I figured I, you know, submit those. So I sent them in. Month later, they send back. No, not good. Um, you have a, a month or two to appeal and explain your reasoning. And unfortunately, I dropped the ball on that. I should have just found a day to drive north um, to York, Pennsylvania, and you know, gotten York County, Pennsylvania, uh, police department to issue it for for me and whatever. But I forgot, and then I was disqualified. It's 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 a real shame. And you know, I was thinking like you know, <laughs> they. The default is you don't get it unless we could 100% confirm who you are. But even if we know you're good, you have to follow our criterion. You know, even even if what you're submitting is is clear and verifiable, you have to follow it. Steve King, and and, and look, this is going nowhere in the media, and and very few people so far have um, picked up on it. But Steve King gave me the exclusive. He worked with USCIS since January. And I'll link to this article in show notes. And by the way, I'm going to have a second follow-up article with more data where he asked Cisna, the director, 10 questions about the nature of these people, the eligibility, how many were criminals, how many truly got high school diplomas, how many are in school, how many traveled outside the country, how many had continuous residence, what's the age. And we have never seen before data. I'm told that USCIS, since I published the article, they now posted it online. I can't find it, but I'll take her word for it that it is posted online now. If I if I find it, I'll tweet it out. Um, but anyway, I posted this article yesterday, and what it paints a picture is that they didn't bother to upload electronically any of the data. Until November 2015. These were literally like Florida's paper ballots during the 2000 election. This stuff wasn't copied down properly. Sometimes you saw the date of birth as 1911 or 1915. There were several thousand that got status that didn't even have their age 
on there, didn't have their country of origin. And again, as it relates to continuous residence, criminal status, and and um, education attainment, it only had roughly seventy five to eighty five thousand files. Meaning the meaning, if you would do a query, it's called um, Ellis is the system. It's like the database system they have. They only have the information on what was uploaded since November 2015. And most of them, you know, it started in 2012. So most of them signed up right away. So, so it, it's roughly, we only have 10% of the applications that actually even have this information. So government doesn't even have this information. But the information we found is very disturbing. Now, you know, these people are prime prime MS-13 recruitment age. It's the same. These are the people that are here in America a couple years earlier than the UACs, and the UACs came in because we were giving them status. Same demographic, although I would argue that most of these are from Mexico, whereas most of the newer ones are from Central America. But otherwise, they're pretty much the same demographic, very vulnerable to MS-13 recruitment. Who are these people? We're told they're not criminals. They're all valedictorians. They're the greatest of the greatest. And yet we don't even know who they are. And, be, and before we discuss this amnesty, and everyone's agreeing to give them amnesty. The question is just how much. Does anyone want to ask why we don't have the data and a- ask questions about this? Roughly 9,000 applications have confirmed disqualified age or entry requirements, meaning a lot of the stuff we don't know. We only know on like 10%. But among the 10% that was uploaded into electronic database that you could query and ask this information, 9,000 affirmatively should be disqualified. Either they're too old, they um, entered too, um, too late, too early. And then another 8,615 don't have the information available, meaning it says not available. Well, what does that mean, not available? But you gave them status. Now, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. See, how do we know who these people are in the first place? So the FBI did background checks. Now they that you know the fingerprint database they had them fingerprinted, but there's a couple things about that. A lot of the applicants were under the age of 14. They were not fingerprinted, so we know nothing about them. And it is known, it is known that three quarters of them, roughly according to some studies, maybe half, have engaged in identity theft. They have, we don't know who they are. Even the ones we did fingerprint, the fingerprinting is not going to bring that up because we, because none of them, even the ones older, did we check their status in their home country. Okay, so you're going to say a three-year-old, we're not going to check their criminal record, but at least their status. And certainly the older ones you know, that are 20, 25, check their criminal record in their home country. We did not do that. That is confirmed. That is confirmed. USCIS and their – this much I can't publicize – 
the I can't show a copy, but the um, the Excel data I believe is on their website now. The answer to the questions in Word form, I, I have that document, and they said that um, they do not they did not check, they did not check, and so 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 that's one thing. And by the way, this is again where sympathy in a vacuum works against us. We're so focused on these people. I mean, the for, on behalf of these people, we can't have border security. We have to violate every legal and political norm on behalf of these people. Violate 200 years of case law, violate sovereignty, a president has to unilaterally disregard immigration law. Don't you we want to know who these amazing people are? And yet, so what happened was Basically, originally on the application, they had to say – they had to list and disclose all the social security numbers they used. Now, not only would that reveal how many of them engaged in identity theft and that they're really criminals, but more importantly, it, the government would be able to then notify Americans, dude, your identity was stolen and we could work that out. Don't we care about Americans? That have identity, their identity stolen. So what happened was, the USCIS under Obama then right away realized, holy smokes, this is going to reveal the dirty underbelly of DACA, that they all engaged in identity theft. We can't have this. So they actually revised it several months later, and said, you only have to put on, report a social security number quote, officially issued to you by the Social Security Administration. So we know they've engaged in identity theft. And guess what? How do we know who they are? So the government said, among other things, you could either give us a passport, obviously a birth certificate, a couple other things, and then a student ID card. I, I know what you're thinking about that. There's a reason Texas, even for Americans, doesn't accept that for photo ID at the polls. I mean, that yeah, all these schools downright support it. They're going to cook it. So Steve King asked them, could you give me a breakdown, the numbers, a pie graph or query in your database, how many were verified based on passport, how many were verified based on birth certificate, how many were verified based on the more tenuous school ID? They said, we don't have that data, and quote, obtaining this information would require a manual file review. You would literally have to sit through the million ap- applications, you know, like the Florida elections, and try to find it. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they care to look through it? Wouldn't they care? So we don't even know who these people are. But so now, now the next question, and I don't have time to get through all this. I'm going to go through more of it next week. <laughs> The next question obviously is, okay, how many criminals were given DACA status? That was a question Steve King asked, and there is no answer for that because they don't have that information. But what we do have is very disturbing. 
only 75,000 applications in the electronic database have that information. That's less than 10% of the approved applicants. But even that information, they don't have the information how many are criminals. All they have is how many self-reported as criminals. Now, raise your hand if you think that the majority reported. I mean, what percentage do you think would self-report? Yes, I'm, I have a criminal record. There's a box for it on the I-864, whatever it's called, um, application. I would say it's likely a minority, probably a very small minority. So we only have 75,000 applications of a pool or a universe that indicates whether they checked off the box. And what we found is that – where is this? 66% of the self-reported criminals were initially approved and 94% of self-reported were granted renewals. 94%. And that one comes out to be 33,709. 33,709 self-reported criminals have DACA status. Now ask yourself, how many didn't self-report, but the FBI got that information and gave them status anyway? Meaning, if you're going to tell me 94% were given it when they self-reported, I think you could assume that Roughly an equal share of the non-self-reported got it too. I mean what? The government's going to give points for honesty? They didn't give a darn. That's what you see. And then how many more had a criminal record in their home country that we didn't bother to check because they confirmed that they didn't check that? And then how many of these people, a criminal record didn't come up because we have the wrong identity? Folks, a lot of these people are bad dudes, and we've confirmed that, you know, They've had to strip several thousand away in the MS-13 members. This is the morality of the dreamer amnesty agenda. After studying this with Steve King and his staff, what I've confirmed and what – you know, we knew this before anyway is, is the following. In a sane country where even while putting foreign nationals first, you would still put Americans first – in this sense, okay, I want to give amnesty, but the presumption will always be like it is with any American status. You don't get it unless I can confirm you. You qualify. I can confirm and verify your qualification, and I document it. Okay? Unless I know for sure you don't get the status. What this, what this demonstrates is the opposite. That the pressure, the political obsession is so intense that the default is you get the status unless it's so glaring that you don't. We're not going to bother to verify it. We're going to slip in people that downright don't qualify. This held true when the entire thing was elective, obviously illegally elective. Ask yourself this question. If we downright passed into statute, these people are legalized as a baseline. But then write certain conditions. Well, you have to show that you're graduated high school or you're going to college for renewal. 
you can't have a criminal record, you have to have continuous residence, you're a certain age, you came after a certain point. What if you didn't quite graduate high school? What if we can't confirm, which is hard to confirm anyway, either we can't confirm it or we affirm affirmatively the other way that you didn't, what if you came a year later? What if you came as a result of this amnesty that you're now incentivized to come and you say, hey, I want status? Do you really think they're going to be rejected when you now have statutes saying you must do it? You know, as a broadly speaking, as a baseline, base statute, and every single pressure group now going case by case that's going to pressure USCIS to, uh, under threat of lawsuit? If they don't give them status. What this shows and, and what Steve King told me when he had the presentation from Cisna and his staff is that it was very clear they didn't even have professional adjudicators doing this. It was very clear that they just took people off the floor, regular non-trained USCIS workers, and just rushed this in helter-skelter, paper application, paper files, just get this done at all costs. That's why these bills, when they say we're going to do amnesty, but don't worry, we're going to do other good things, it's pure BS. You're going to get the amnesty. You're not going to get the conditions or the enforcement. And I now have the proof. Education requirements, it is insane. A tiny percentage of them are confirmed to have graduated high school. And almost nobody had a year of college and like literally 10 people graduated college, have been confirmed at least. It is such a joke. So forget about just the legal criteria and just the political talking point. These are the best of the best. That is not true. But you see what I mean? Nothing stands in front of this agenda. That's why you have to understand politics to understand policy. You can't just look at a piece of legislation like Amelia Bedelia. You have to look at the political pressures, where this is coming from, and where this is headed. Politics is not just a rote science. It's an art, and you have to understand outcomes. And that's what I study here at Conservative Review. This is really sad, and no one wants to talk about this. But, you know, this just demonstrates an adage, a Jewish adage from the Talmud that I live by. Those who are merciful to the cruel will ultimately be cruel to those deserving mercy. That is liberalism in in a nutshell, and that is phony, neocon, click-servative, thumb-sucking, pseudo-conservatism, and these phony religious groups. That is what they are. Jeff Sessions is absolutely right to invoke biblical values in defense of sovereignty. Absolutely right. You know, it's funny, all these stupid leftists that don't believe in the Bible or God and like the homosexual agenda that's in there black and white somehow isn't in there, but they all quote these things about, oh, being nice to the, to the immigrant when really – They don't understand – they don't know the exegesis of the old Hebrew, and I actually do because I know biblical Hebrew, and the word ger is the one that they're referring to. That's transliterated. It's G-E-R. It it, it actually means a Jewish convert, 
in Israel, during ancient Israel, how to treat him. It's not talking about an immigrant in a like national sense, in a political sense. It's talking about a convert in a religious sense. You know, it it, it was saying like, you know, for example, back then, you know, Jews were the only ones who were <clears throat> monotheistic, and everyone else served idols and were pagans. It says, hey, you know, if someone comes and becomes a Jew, don't go and and pain the guy and insult him and say, hey, you know, you're coming here and just uh, just a couple of years ago you were serving idols. But anyway, you know, that that's lost on all these these phony religious groups that are now just they, – they don't know the Bible and they don't know politics and they don't, they don't know policy and they don't know what the hell they're talking about and their morality is shoved up their ass. They could take their morality and their compassion and take it straight to hell because that's where they're going. Let me tell you something. I have other important data that there's multiple points to say on, and I know we're already running late, and my voice kills from talking so much. But, um, you know, let me just bring this to you, and I got to get this. I'm going to write right on this next week, but real briefly. There's something very dangerous going on here. And I say this on many issues, but it's evident on immigration, where the left is so extreme that we're now having to fight issues that are like the basic laws of nature. We have borders. We have immigration enforcement. A man's a man. A woman's a woman. A marriage is a marriage. The basic facts of life are now being questioned. They believe we need to abolish ICE. And what they're doing is they're they're focusing on – and this is what they do. They focus on stories just like Alice Johnson. Oh, a person was in America for 50 years and is now being deported by ICE, and they don't give you the background. And again, on, on a couple of cases, there's so many of them are killing our country with drugs and gangs. A couple of them might be somewhat innocuous, but you have to have that deterrent. That's what law and order is. 90% of them being deported, even Pew admits, are criminals. But I mean, dude, we can't codify that if you come here illegally, but you, know, you didn't do anything else wrong, you're not going to be deported. Otherwise, there's no deterrent. This has got to be shut down. But anyway, like Trump has this Nazi ICE police. That, that, that's what they're trying to give you. Let me give you numbers from Track. Track is a clearinghouse of information published by the by Syracuse University. They show a chart that is worth a million words. And it shows you ICE arrests and apprehensions by year since fiscal year 2008. As you know, Obama suspended immigration enforcement in his final years, ICE arrests were down to, at its lowest point, 113,000 in FY 2015 and 108,000 in FY 2016. Trump's first year, FY 2017, do you know what it's up to? 139,000. Just a little bit. It's up a little bit. 139,000. Do you know how many arrests ICE was making in the first term of Obama, before it was imbued in this society, even under Obama, that immigration enforcement is somehow immoral. And we're going to talk about that immorality in a minute. It was up at 310 to 320,000. So even under Trump, Trump's you know surge in ICE ramp up, apprehensions are less than half of what they were 
under Obama's first term before he suspended it. And then you see it starts going down in a little bit in 2012, plummets in 2013, plummets even more in 2014. Now, but just before I go on with the main point, you might be asking, well, you know, some of FY 2017 started in October 2016 under Obama. You're right. And you see the numbers, they break it down by month. So you could see the numbers went up to like 12, 13, as much as 14,000 a month under Trump, but it hasn't gone up since. It's kind of plateaued based on the data we have. We don't have recent data. Those numbers were 26,000 a month under Obama. Okay? Now, notice we have to fight even for the 139,000 now. This is how radical Republicans have moved over. Now, I'm not trying to criticize Trump here. Much of this is ICE is now good, whereas, you know, under the final years of Obama, ICE was being bad. But you have the sanctuary cities. California alone is probably responsible for 20% of this. So with sanctuary cities now, you can never get back up to those numbers. And that's, and that's the point. You look at this chart, folks. Just like I gave you the chart of UACs coming in on the front end at the border. And I said, you plot it on a graph and that is your drug crisis. Why is it that drugs are so cheap and ubiquitous Yes, we've had drugs, but we never had what we had starting 2013 to 2015 when drug overdoses surged with fentanyl, heroin, meth, and cocaine, and then mixed with fentanyl by 200, 300, 400, 500%, depending on the state. Something had to have happened. Folks, this is what happened. And I'm going to do an article on this. Um, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You look here, and the the rise of the drug crisis works directly with the collapse of interior enforcement. Do you want to know who does ICE arrest for the most part? When you don't have sanctuary cities and you have the 287G program, also that was suspended around the same time. Those are the two big factors. I, uh, I called up Jessica Vaughn. I, I want to get her on the show, but I asked her her input on, on you know what she on what this data says. And she says the two things very clearly that happened are sanctuary cities and um, 287G going away. What happens is you coordinate with the people that the local law enforcement picks up. Who are those people? So I have in front of me ICE's FY 2017 report. They have like a comprehensive report on, you know, the results and outcomes and accomplishments, enforcement. And what they show here is that basically 50% of their apprehensions are dangerous drug charges. They have a category called dangerous drugs. That's it. Those are your people. Those are the primary drug traffickers. Now, you have Americans involved, but they're secondary. This is at a primary level. You know, a lot of people said the war on drugs didn't work. Now, I would argue because we never had a war on the drug cartels. We never treated our border properly. But even without that, sometimes you don't realize until you stop your input and your enforcement, then you realize, oh, well, it didn't get rid of it, but by golly, it helped now the problem is fivefold now that you got rid of it. 
So we had a drug problem. Then we had a drug problem times five, times 10. Because at least we were never doing what we should have done, but we were constantly arresting criminal aliens in this country. So the drug distribution networks could never remain in a firm footing, established and deep-rooted without going detected. That's how the drugs were more scarce. That's how the prices were higher. That's how the availability was less to young kids and young adults. And that's how we had less – we had fewer fatalities. That is your drug crisis. That is your dreamers. That is your compassion for kids coming over the border. You could take your compassion and go straight to hell with it. I understand these people didn't study the issue like I did. But ignorance is a dangerous commodity. Ignorance is immoral. If you're going to opine on an issue that you didn't study and you didn't understand. Here at Conservative Review, as you all know, we've studied this from the immigration end, from the criminal justice end, from the drug end, from the interior enforcement end, from the sanctuary end, from the border enforcement end, from Hezbollah producing end. And we have a full picture of this issue. And we're going to continue reporting on this. I'm going to elaborate on this later. But this is what is so dangerous. We now have to fight. For 50% of what Obama himself did in his first term. Even that was common sense back then. And now you have even the right and evangelical groups and Franklin Graham. Oh, this is terrible. We can't deter this behavior because we're separating families. Family values. Yeah. Let me tell you something. These aren't family values. These are MS-13 heroin values, folks. I'm out of air, out of emotion. My head is pounding, out of voice. Time to end the week. We'll we'll push a lot of the stuff in show notes. But I have another article coming out on Kim Kardashian values on crime, California crime values going national. And I want you to read that. And I'll just tell you, I hear from my sources that the organizations and the staffers drafting these bills – are pulling their hair out. They don't know what to do with me. They're like, this is some sort of coordinated effort. I laugh because I wish. What you see is what you get. I have no one to coordinate with. And in fact, I don't even have an intern. I don't even have a summer intern. Like, you know, when I was doing, I had to sit and tabulate the percentage increase in crime rates, like every category, armed robbery, uh, burglary, murder, rape. You know, I had to sit and do it manually and then, you know, just do the math. I I spent an extra hour in order to make my article even better to give you that data. Um, You know, that's something you would normally give to an intern. I don't even have that sort of coordination. I'm the last man standing on this, but I guess the truth hurts. And we're going to keep being that inspector general for the truth. Peace and compassion, as it says in Zechariah, you need to love truth before you get peace. Peace and compassion and serenity, those are lofty goals, but you need truth. Otherwise, you don't get peace. Bruce Westerman, a Republican from Arkansas, just introduced legislation. You know, oh, this is just, you know, we're locking up too many people for low-level drugs. Now, we've already 
as you guys see, this is not low level. They're high level. It's not possession. No one's in there for possession. It's high level trafficking. Many of them were arrested for murder, armed robbery, and even the drugs itself killed tens of thousands of people over the last few years. But I told you that once you start this retroactive producing home videos of these compassionate-looking figures in jail, oh, why are we locking them up? I said there's there's nothing unique about drug trafficking. They're going to do that with murder. Guess what? He introduced legislation that will reopen the sentencing after 20 years of anyone convicted for murder for life in prison after 20 years. This Kim Kardashian, Van Jones agenda that has now gripped Trump because our movement will not do what we're starting to do on immigration and call him out. Let me tell you some compassion. So the article is not up yet, but let me, let me just read to you. I had a woman contact me, just so you know. I don't do ambulance chasing, and that's part of the problem. We don't have stories. It's all intellect and data and you know truth, and it's hard to fight sob stories with it. So I just want you to know I'm not sitting and looking for it, but originally the way I have contact with her, I was read, I, um, Susan uh, Emily Collins. She's the cousin of an individual um, who was murdered, Eric Ingebretson from um, Calusa, California. He was murdered 21 years ago by what was his best friend, Nathan Ramazzini, who butchered him. He just like cut his body up. So he was that, that Nathan was 17 years old at the time and he was sentenced to life without parole. Should have gotten the death penalty, but got life, life without parole. California passed SB 394 last year to reopen the sentencing for those who had already served 25 years. In case you think this is limited to California, we now have a bill introduced. And by the way, Westerman's bill, that portion of it, is Section 208 of the Lee Durbin Sentencing Bill that passed the Senate Judiciary Committee in February. And whereas this First Step Act doesn't have that provision, but this is the second step. This is the next bill that they all support. And by the way, they all, in their own words, Freedom Works says this is very modest. It's even more radical than California because it reopens it after 20 years. California did it after 25 years. But anyway, Emily was telling me how now they're going to have to go through a resentencing trial. He's going to be resentenced in 2021. It's going to reopen the pain for the family. She said parole hearings always favor the criminals. They might get denied once, but it's only a matter of time. They ultimately get released. And guess what? She didn't even tell me this, but I Googled Nathan Ramazzini, and it turns out a couple months ago, he's already producing videos on, look, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a kid. I'm mature now. Just note This is a movement where Kim Kardashian and Van Jones, they're going to go person by person of every single convict to try to find an obfuscation and a story to release them. We're going to go person by person to get every illegal alien child separated. Who is standing for the American people and the victims? You know... For every one person who might be oversentenced, 
there's a thousand people who are never sentenced or under-sentenced. Just in the year 2016 alone, there were 15,556 confirmed murder cases. 41% have gone uncleared, meaning unsolved or unconvicted. Okay? That's over 6,000. Over 6,000 murders. Just 36% of the 111,000 rapes have gone solved, cleared in the terminology of the FBI. That's well over 70,000 rapists have not. Well over 200,000, 250,000 robberies have gone unsolved. Who is going to go through all those cases and try to get a team of lawyers and celebrities and politicians and agitators to A, either solve the case or where they at least start where a guy was arrested but wasn't convicted and try to study those cases and see why he wasn't convicted. And at least in cases that won't involve double jeopardy and violate the Fifth Amendment to try to pressure the prosecutors to find another way to prosecute them. Let's have some balance here. I promise you guys, as long as I have air in my breath, I will stand for balance, for justice, for truth, for the American victim, and for what's right, even if you won't hear it elsewhere. I'd love to hear your feedback at dhorowitz at crtv.com. Tweet me at Conservative. I left so much more on the table, so much more to talk about on jailbreak, on immigration. I didn't even get to health care. We'll get to that next week. Want to have some of our guests we didn't have on. But anyway, I didn't have, coming back to our original point, I didn't have Brandon Judd on the show today because he was patrolling. But one of his messages is he's concerned that nobody else is willing to speak out for the Border Patrol. Hey, Mr. President, you could be doing better. You're getting bad advice. Because everyone is scared. They're scared to speak up on that issue, and they're certainly scared to speak up on crime. I'll tell Kim Kardashian, Van Jones, and Jared freaking Kushner to go to hell. Because again, those who push policies that separate American children from their parents in the grave can and will go to hell. Thank you for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of the conservative conscience.